Have you found he's all you need? Amen. He's your portion. Amen. He's your need supplier. He'll walk with you through fire. He'll be with you, even in you, to the end of the road. What a, what a wonderful promise that is. We glorify his name today. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to let you have your seats just a moment. We just um, come today gathered together in his name, and what a privilege it is to serve him at this time. Amen. Amen. And, um, you know, we look back through the past year and many different things we can remember that took place in the year gone by, and uh, we look for some great things to take place in the new year to come. In the new year to come, um, we have a wedding that will be coming up, another wedding. We announced one here a week or so ago, and we have another wedding to announce, and another one of our, our young man, a young man in the church is getting married to Brother Adam Pilger to Sister Bethany Collins, and I'd like them just to come forward now. They've asked me to pray over them this morning as they announce their engagement, and their upcoming marriage sometimes in June, and um, you know, he's going to... He's going to go there to, to be with his bride and try to make a home and a living there and, and be a, exercise his gift in the church of playing the piano. And, so he'll be a blessing there like he's been a blessing to us. Amen. We really are happy for that. Amen. Amen. Would you just, let's just bow our heads together. Lord, these... Two young people come today. And Lord, they have made their announcement of their engagement, of them joining together, Lord, and making a vow to you, Lord, to each other. And then we'll make that a public vow here in the coming year. We pray with a happy, wonderful life together. We ask, Lord, you'll bless their engagement here as they look forward to that union day where they'll be united in holy matrimony. May your grace and peace be upon them and you just supply every need, open every door for them that you want open, close every door you want closed. I pray that you'll lead them by your spirit. Father, as we rejoice in your salvation and your grace, Lord, we're thankful, Lord, for a young man like Brother Adam that's grown up in our church. And Lord, dedicated here as a baby and now a man. and Taking on this responsibility, having found a wife, he's found a good thing. And has found favor from the Lord. And I ask, Lord, for your grace upon them. I ask, Lord, your grace upon our sister Bethany. Lord, as she's also a, a Christian that's given her heart to you and Lord, you know the, the tragedy that they've faced in their family and situations that have been there. But I pray, Lord, that even as you have helped them to come to this day, that you'll help them through all life's journey. And may your blessings be upon them. Lord, may the enemy be held back with a wall of fire around them that they have nothing to fear. But we commit them to you today in Jesus' name. 
Amen. God bless you. God bless you, Brother Adam. God bless you, my little sister. In Jesus' name. Well, bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with love. Amen. Amen. What a privilege that is. I looking out seeing Brother G and Sister Amanda here today. Now, Adam, you can come back home sometimes, see? Amen. So we welcome them home today. We're really happy to have um, our Canadian extension to come back home. Amen. I, I just hope they didn't bring no cold weather down with them. Amen. Lifted up there in Canada for them to enjoy there. Amen. We'll send y'all some heat. All right. And, and Amanda said, thank you. <laughs> Amen. Well, isn't God good to us? Amen. I was supposed to be um, uh, on, my, on a journey and going up to uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and they'd left out on Thursday and my plane got canceled. And so I turned around and came back home. And so we're here this morning. Amen. Been praying for you, Sister Mary Catherine. So God's answers prayers. You're here in church today. May his Holy Spirit continue touching your body. Amen. And each one of you, I, I, I just think about um, the year past and the miracles that have happened in our assembly. And, you know, the healing of Sister Lana. What a great thing that God did. The healing of Jaron. Amen. Where God saved him from a life of sin and turned his life around. I tell you, we ought to be able to say, ain't God good to give us so many blessings? Amen. We're not deserving of any of them. It's just grace. Amen. His mercy and grace to us. So God bless you. Let's um, stand together as we read the scripture this morning. We're going to read from Isaiah chapter 27 and verse 12. I thought it was um, very striking to me as I was trying to prepare for service up there in um, Pennsylvania and actually a couple of services there. And um, I just, you know, through, throughout my day of just preparing, my, uh, my thoughts and my attention kept being brought back to this to service here and to speak to you today. So I believe that God had this very service in mind before the world began. And I believe he knew exactly who would be here, who would not be here, what the need would be, who would listen in, who would hear this service, and uh, the attitude in which they would hear it. And today, you know, we will speak about some things as we close out the year. And, um, you, know, I, you know, I'm going to approach this maybe as if this was the last sermon I would ever preach. Because this is the last sermon that I'll preach this year, and um, not just the month, but the year. And uh, so, you know, I will speak some things to you as a congregation. I'll speak some things to um, those who will listen in to, throughout the world, where it will be, maybe those who will be streaming the service. 
And, um, you know, we'll speak some very direct things. And um, so, you know, if uh, as we speak and, and, and maybe uh, as we hear, I just pray that the Lord will give us wisdom to, to say the things that is on our hearts today because I have some very direct things to say as we close out the year. And, and I said, I'm going to approach this as if this was the last sermon I would ever preach. And you know, I, I really think maybe that's the way we ought to approach any, any time that we come to service, because we don't know when this will be the last time we will gather. Amen. And so we ought to approach it with some very great sincerity and, and dedication in our hearts. I've chosen there for a mural background today. Um, it's, it's maybe not real clear um, uh, as, you, as you look upon it. But I don't think the scene is really clear to the naked eye anyway. And this is a glimpse into the holiest of holies. The veil is being lifted back and the high priest is looking in. And it would be here that uh, the priest would go in for, for the day of atonement where he would bring the atoning blood to put upon the seat of mercy. And today I'm going to be speaking on the call back to the original atonement. Now, it isn't a rekilling of the sacrifice. It is not going back to Calvary again and Jesus dying on the cross again. But it is the call back to the original atonement, which is the blood life of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be speaking about that, the call back to the original atonement. Amen. So Isaiah 27 and verse 12, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall beat off from the channel of the river unto the stream of Egypt, and ye shall be gathered one by one, O ye children of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown, and they shall come which are were ready to perish in the land of Assyria, and the outcast in the land of Egypt shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. And then I would like to go to Leviticus chapter 23, and we'll read from the 24th verse. And this is where the day of atonement was uh, established. And it says, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, now if we carry that, that down, you know, there were seven feasts, and we are, we are here worshiping under the last feast, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, where we're about to change our tabernacles, our dwelling place. And, um, and of course, in this um, was in the seventh month, which again represents seven church ages, which we are in the end time age or the seventh church age. Now, in this first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath, a, ho- a memorial of blowing of trumpets and holy convocation. And then I would like you to back up to Leviticus chapter 16. We'll read from verse 11 there. And this is the instructions to Aaron, the high priest. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. 
and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house and shall kill the, the bullock of the sin offering which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. So there would be seven sprinklings of blood, which again for us, there's blood forever, church age. Amen. Now then, backing back up to um, Leviticus 16 verse 29, we will read here, or going there, uh, Leviticus 16, 29, and this shall be a statue forever unto you that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or of a stranger that sojourneth among you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and you shall afflict your souls by a statue forever. Amen. God bless you. You can have your seats. Amen. Just a little more sound up here, Brother Tim. Now, as we are approaching this today, As you know, we have read about the blowing of the trumpets. We have read about the Day of Atonement. And of course, the Bible would tell us that these are all um, types and shadows. Paul would say they were written to us for an example. So God would actually plan out his work of redemption, and then he would play it out through the... um, the Jewish race, as he would set up a tabernacle on the earth and, and he would type out exactly what he would do uh, at Calvary and his work of atonement. Now, um, as you notice, all of these are in the seventh month of the, of the year, which would be actually their um, day, uh, their, their fall feast in which there would be the three feasts that would take place, which would be the Feast of the Trumpets, and then the Day of Atonement, and then finally the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, there was also uh, four more feasts before that, which was the Spring Feast, which would begin with the Passover, and the first fruits and the, the Unleavened Bread, and finally Pentecost. Now, this, uh, of course, would... Um, in the fall feast would, would begin a, a time first with the blowing of the trumpets. Now, the trumpet is to call the people to assemble themselves together for something. And I'm sharing this from the Feast of the Trumpet sermon, where he says sometimes it would announce an important person. Like in Joseph, they sounded the trumpet and 
Joseph was appearing, a symbol of the great trumpet. We'll get after a while in Isaiah that says when the great trumpet sounds, when that ensign will be lifted up up there. And there come a time when the great trumpet will be sounded and all the nations will gather to Jerusalem. And that's when the, the millennium starts, the great trumpet. So we know we're right here uh, on the very um, cusp of this great trumpet as it sounds out throughout the land. And of course, we know as um, the trumpet begins to sound for Israel to announce to them the coming of their Joseph, their Messiah, that at the same time there will be, uh, it will call the dead in Christ and they will come forth. And, and uh, then we will see them and we will be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Now, what a great promise that is this morning that we have as we know that we're living now, not in the springtime where there is Calvary, the Passover and the unleavened bread and, and the first fruits of the resurrection. And finally, um, Pentecost, where it comes to, to there, the day of Pentecost, would, uh, which would initiate in the coming of the Holy Ghost. But we are here in the hours of the finishing of redemption. And so we're, we're in the evening time, or we could say in this, the fall time. But yet, it's a new beginning. Um, this would, because the, these feasts would also introduce to them a new year. Where that they would come into a new beginning or a new year. And it's, it's a time for a, a new beginning. It's a time for all the ages to be over, and that will take place at the literal translation of the bride of Christ, not before, but when she is literally and corporally changed into immortality, there the ages will end and we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, so these trumpets, though, that they're also spoke about in the book of Revelation, the blowing of the seven trumpets. And these trumpets would sound, and their purpose is to gather Israel back to their homeland. Now, I want you to remember that we've got actually two things happening at once. We have God dealing with the Gentiles and finishing up their redemption. We have then God uh, uh, in his beginnings of gathering Israel back to her homeland and then um, initiating redemption or bringing redemption to them and sealing in the 144,000 for them. So you see, God's doing two things in the end time. He's dealing with Abraham's seed, both the literal seed or the natural seed and the spiritual seed, the royal seed of Abraham. So he's doing, uh, he's doing two things at once, and, and we've got to realize then what is our message and what isn't our message, or else we try to become something or try to apply something to our lives that we're not, you see. And so, again, the trumpets sound to gather Israel back to their homeland, and notice it is the call back to the atonement. They're, they're come to, uh, back to the to, to, to God for reconciliation. Now, this again, as I said, would bring in a new year for them, a new beginning. And the Day of Atonement was a, a gracious day for Israel. 
each year where they could experience a new beginning by being cleansed from their sins and restored to fellowship with their maker. Oh, what a day that's going to be for Israel. When that day will be cleansed from their sins of rejecting the Messiah and turning down the word of God and, and then restored back to fellowship with their maker. It, re, it reminds us, it's reminiscent of the time of Joseph, you know, when he was rejected by his brethren, sold out into Egypt, and, and then, then, of course, comes into power, raised up from the pit, and sat at the right hand of Pharaoh there, and there um, all of, of, the, of um, his brethren would come and bow down before him, and, and yet he was providing for them all along the way until the day he finally makes himself known to his brethren. Don't you know that's quite an hour, church, where that God has been waiting a long time to call his brethren in and say, I am Joseph. I am Jesus that you crucified, but it was done to save life. Look at all of these that got redeemed because of, of what happened to me at Calvary. I gave my life. It was for your good. What a day that's going to be. Amen. Now, on this day shall the atonement be made for you. He said in the book of, Le- of Leviticus to cleanse you. From all your sins, you shall be clean before the Lord. Oh, what a day of atonement. What a day. Now notice, it's not going to be the rekilling of the sacrifice. It's not even going to be offering another sacrifice. That lamb is sufficient. Amen. That lamb's blood is sufficient. We're talking about the lamb of God. Come on. Amen. So it's not going to be offering a new lamb or bringing into a new worship, but it's going to be changing their attitude toward the, the atonement that's already been given. Hallelujah. Where that they will recognize their Messiah. Now, this day of atonement is one of the most solemn and important holy day on the Jewish calendar. And it was the day where the high priest would go in beyond the veil and he would, he would make an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. And this, uh, this act of atonement would bring reconciliation between God and his people. Now, the call of the trumpets, which precedes the day of atonement, was to bring Israel to this time of atonement. It was a time of gathering them together. Now, remember, there is another gathering that is going on with the, with the royal seed of Abraham. And our gathering together, of course, is unto Christ. It's not to one church or one denomination or one little theory or this or that. It's a gathering together unto Christ. Amen. That no matter where you are. You don't have to belong to Evening Light Tabernacle. You don't have to go to church here. You, you may never have darkened the doors of this place, but if you're gathered in Christ, amen, you heard the trumpet call and you've been gathered into Christ. That's what's important. Our gathering isn't to a personality. Our, our gathering isn't to a certain preacher. Amen. Or a certain location. Our gathering is unto Christ. 
and that Christ is the word. Are you with me? Now, when the trumpet sound in this last age, it was both, it was both twofold, spiritually and literally. Are you with me? Now, spiritually, there was spirits that was released. The Bible tells you in, in Revelation chapter 9 that it was released from the, from the river Euphrates. Spirits that were bound up and held back that was not allowed to be released until the end time. And that's when 300 million demons come out and, and this age is more affected than any other age. This is where all the sin of all the ages piled together and heaped together right here in this, in this last day. This is where all the evil of the world comes together. This is where all the demons of the world are gathered together. You know what they're gathering for? One thing they're gathering for is so that Satan will become their king. And he will become king of the earth. The Bible said he will reign for three and a half years. While the bride is in glory. I'm so glad we don't have to be here. It's bad enough right now. Amen. But just cheer up. The worst is yet to come. Amen. It's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse and worse and darker and darker. And that's why we need Jesus to come back. That is our only hope. Amen. Oh, I love it to see young people get married and make plans for the future. But I'm telling you, friends, our real future is not on, our, uh, on a new marriage or a new job or a new this or a new that. Our real hope is the coming of the Lord Jesus. That's got to be our focus. That's how we got to live our lives. As if this were our last day on the earth. Because even if he doesn't come in a corporal body today, he may come for you today. You have no promise of tomorrow. Not here. You're only here a short time. And it'll soon be over. It'll be over soon enough. More quicker than you realize. It was only yesterday I got married. It was only yesterday I started preaching. It was only yesterday. It wasn't no time ago like that. We're about to celebrate this week coming up 50 years for Brother Jerry, Sister Phyllis. It's just yesterday. A flash. It'll all be over. It's only what's done for Christ is what's going to last. I'll tell you, if there ever was a time to put your whole heart into this, to put away your lukewarmness, to have a passion for truth, amen, to live your life for Christ and therefore live it for others. How important this is. Now, as I said, all of these spirits were released. It was released against Naturally, against the seed of Abraham, uh, there the, the Jews and 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 drove them from the places, from their comfort zones, from their places in Germany and Poland and 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 Russia and, and wherever they were in the world, and and put a burning seal in their heart. We gotta have a homeland. 
There's got to be a place for, for the Jews. And it puts something in their heart. And they realize this ain't our homeland. And the same thing happened spiritually to some of you. Spiritual Israel. You were sitting there comfortable in the denomination that you were in. But there was something driving in your heart. I've got to get to homeland. I've got to find a place where the Bible is preached. Where the word of God is true. Where there can be healings and miracles and signs and wonders and real salvation. Something that works. We've got to have some reality. We've got to have something that is real. And you see, we, 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 were, we were driven here. I don't know about you, but that's the way I feel. I'm driven to this place. Amen. I'm driven to this Bible, to this Word of God. Yes, Amen. Now, so why, why was it all, what was all this about? It was to drive them back to Israel to the homeland where that the Messiah could be revealed to them. Are you with me? And so that they could come back to the original atonement. Now that's the whole purpose of the whole thing. And that's the very purpose we are here. We are not here to have a nice church and, and have a little something different from everybody else and a little different belief from anybody else or, or to have another denomination or form another, a new denomination. That's not why we're here. We are here to see the Messiah. We are here to crown him Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And, amen. That the headship would be Christ. Amen. That we wouldn't be ruled over by a pope or a bishop. Amen, but we'd be ruled over by the Word of God. That's the longing that's in the heart. Now, just sharing this quote from Feast of the Trumpets. He said, now here is a calling out time. At the sixth seal, when it's opened, the, the persecution struck the Jews in the literal standpoint. And here comes the persecution to the church in the ecclesiastical standpoint. Because the bride is already called. The Sabbaths are over and ready for the Jews to, to be called. Where to? The Feast of Atonement. In other words, we've, the Sabbath being over, we've reached the last church age. Amen. We're at the end of it. And we're ready now for the Jews. Amen. The gospel of the, to turn back to the Jews. And that, where that they can be called to the Feast of of atonement. What? To recognize the atonement. Not no more chickens and geese and what they've been doing, but the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Israel's going to know that. Amen. Amen. Now, the day of atonement for Israel will be their time of recognition of the atonement that was already made by the sacrifice of the sin offering Jesus Christ. It will be a day of mourning and a time of recognition of the blood that was shed. Now, part of this atoning, redemptive work of the Lamb is the blowing of the ram's horn, which we preached about last Sunday, which calls Israel to the day of atonement. But it also calls us back by the last gospel trumpet to the, to the Gentiles, the seventh angel's message. 
It calls us back to the original atonement. Now, listen to this again, and I'm, I'm sharing this from Feast of the Trumpet. This would be paragraph 291, where he said, Now, those same as the two prophets did, the same as those two prophets did. Remember, the Gentile bride is to have a prophet called Elijah. That is to call them out of their traditions, the bride, just the same as these prophets called Jews out of Judaism to Christ, the atonement. And the Gentiles already knows the atonement. But it's to call the bride back to the original atonement. Amen. When all, where all these seven Sabbaths that they've got away from, call them back to the end time. Listen, the seventh church age messenger, the seventh trumpet messenger is all prophets. And, and now that's right, injected is 144,000, calling the seals, which is to the Gentiles. It had to be the Gentiles to so open up to the Gentiles to see the Gentile church. That's all we know. That's all we listen to. What's already passed, we look for Jesus. So what he's saying is the seals has opened up to us our past. Don't you realize the coming of those two prophets and their message to Israel will open up to them their past. Amen. It'll open to them the Messiah that they rejected. Then their prayer that all the sins be on them and their children. And then the, the whole thing that, that uh, of the persecution, the years, oh church, there's not been a people that has been so persecuted as the Jews. We talk about in the great tribulation ahead, three and a half years of tribulation. Are you with me? Amen. But when you, when you talk about the Jews, it's been 2,000 years of tribulation. And the Bible said of that day of these Jews, it'll never be repeated again. There'll never be a time of tribulation upon a people for 2,000 years like the Jews. Amen. It's been a horrible time. They've been scattered, dispersed, hated, despised, and would have been exterminated, but God had a plan. There were names in the Lamb's Book of Life. Are you with me? Amen. That had not been manifested upon the earth that was a part of his great work of redemption. That the Lamb was not only slain for us, but was slain for them too. Now, so, but for us, what did the seals do? It showed us the horse riders. It showed us the Antichrist. It showed us how the church got dispersed through the denominations instead of the nations, the denominations. It uncovered what, you know, what, what we went through and why we are here where we're today. But it did more than that. It did more than just telling us our history. But it revealed to us Christ again. The same Christ that was in the book of Acts. The same Holy Ghost with the same action, the same power. Now, notice, I want you to notice it calls us back to the original atonement. It doesn't call us back and say the atonement is over. It doesn't call us back and say the atonement's no more effective. That the blood no longer works, or that he's no longer high priest, or that he's no longer lamb. It calls us back 
to the lamb and his atoning blood. That's what the real message does. Amen. Amen. It's cults and creeds and dogmas of man that points you away from Christ and his atoning blood. Amen. There is only one way of salvation. That is not church joining. That's not belonging to a denomination. That's not belonging to a cult or a club or or a creed or a dogma. Amen. There's only one place of atonement, and that's in Christ and his atoning blood. Nothing else can wash away your sins. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. So you see, it would call us back to the original atonement. Making the atonement necessary in order for there to be a rapture. Let me just say it. Without an atonement, there's no rapture. Without the atonement, there's no body change. When you take the atonement away, we have no message. Without the atonement, there's no divine healing. Without the the atonement, there is no mercy. Amen. This is why the original atonement is so important. That we come back to the original atonement. Now, so you see, the original atonement is what has brought us to a bride age. And that bright age is an apostolic age. Somebody help me now. Amen. It's, not, it's, not, it's, it's the age, the apostolic age put back into effect again. So when we're saying come back to the original atonement, then it means we come back to an apostolic age again. To an apostolic message. Word that the book of Acts is continued. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you with me? So the bride age is within the Laodicean age, and we're called there by the messenger of the church out of Azusa Pentecost into the Pentecostal genuine. And that's where it calls us. It calls us back to the Pentecostal genuine, to the same atonement they had on the day of Pentecost. Amen. I'm going somewhere. Now, Brother Branham tells us about in the resume of the ages as he talks about the seven ages. And he talks about before the ages began, that little spot, maybe from Pentecost to to when the ages began, somewhere about 30-year period. He talks about a time where that the church was pure and undefiled. Now that was a bride age. And when we come down to the end of Laodicea, at the last of it, by the prophet's message within the Laodicean age, in the seventh age, it returns back to being a bride's age again. Hallelujah. With the same gospel that Paul preached is what we preach. The same word. We don't deviate it from one bit. Amen. The same power. The same glory. Amen. That was in that bride age before the defilement is the same bride that is in the last day, in the last church age, before we're raptured out of here. 
Amen. A little space of time where God will have a bride again ready to be married to the groom. A bride prepared. Adorned for her husband. Dressed in her wedding gown. Complete in him. Without spot. Somebody say without spot. Without a wrinkle. Without a blemish. Or any such thing. Amen. A pure bride. Now, so the birth of the church was at Pentecost. And the first Adam was given a bride fresh from the hand of God and was undefiled for a brief span. And so was Christ, the last Adam, given a bride pure and fresh at Pentecost. And she remained separate and undefiled for some time. But you know, just like the serpent beguiled Eve. Now this is where Paul would come in. And he would say, look, as a serpent beguiled Eve, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about you that you'll accept another Jesus. I'm not worried that you won't still worship. Or that you still won't have churches. I'm worried that you won't know the Jesus that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But it'll be replaced with a bunch of cold creeds and dogmas and apostolic um, ideas of, of, of um, the, uh, the apostolic creed. You know, so, you know, you know, again, you know, some kind of creed replaced. Are you with me? Rather than, uh, rather than the real Bible fundamental word of God, I, I'm afraid, I'm afraid you'll be beguiled. I'm afraid there's a seduction coming. In fact, he prophesied that it would be so. This is found in 2 Thessalonians, uh, where where that he says that the man of sin would be revealed, the son of perdition. And the church would so drift until finally they would be seen worshiping the man of sin in the church instead of the real Christ. Now, you talk about a fallen away. The Bible would declare her in the book of Revelation. As a church that would stray so far, he would call her a whore. Someone who hadn't been true to her husband. Someone who had taken in seeds of another man. Amen. Seeds of popes and bishops and ideas and denominational and everything else. Amen. Now, but there when she came from the hand of God at Pentecost under the original atonement, she was separate and undefiled, a bride. Now, he said, how long this continued, we don't know. But one day, even as Eve was tempted and seduced by Satan, so the church was contaminated by the interest of an antichrist spirit. And remember, the Antichrist spirit comes in to defile, to make her cold and formal and powerless. And that's what the workings of Satan would want to do to you, make you cold and formal and powerless. Oh, God. God hates powerless worship. Amen. Oh, my. God hates worship without sincerity. God hates it. He would say to Israel, I hate your sacrifices. 
Can you imagine sacrifices he instituted? But it become a form that we're just doing it as a ritual. There was no sincerity to it. God said, I hate it. Now, finally, in Revelation 2, we would find the church, that first church age. He said, remember from which you've fallen. You have left your first love. So already, the first, that first age was already a fallen woman. And as Satan had gotten to Eve before Adam, even now Satan seduced the church, the bride of Christ, before the marriage supper of the Lamb. And... And what was, was it, what was it they called her fault? The deeds of the Nicolaitans. Already the first age had turned from following the pure word of God. They turned from God's demand of a church absolutely dependent upon him. Dependent entirely upon God to fulfill his word from start to finish apart from human government. To Nicolaitanism which is organized in a human government within the church which, as all governments do, legislate for the people. They did exactly what Israel did. They took the expediency of human government instead of the Word and the Spirit. Now, notice what happened. The bride got defiled as Eve did, and just like Eve, the church lost her position in the Word. And the church ages start out as a church who lost her first love. Her name would be Ephesus, which means aimed at and relaxed. Oh God, that's why we don't want to be no Ephesian age. Somebody that aimed at the high calling and relaxed. Don't you know the danger of the delay that's associated with the coming of the Lord? Don't you realize how important that it is that you watch? You know, there's that word that Jesus uses with his coming over and over again. Watch, 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 watch. Keep your eyes open. Be alert. Don't go to sleep. You're not of the world. Don't go to sleep like them. Be awake. You're not of the night. You're of the day. All of these have to do with his coming. Don't let yourself get backslidden. Lukewarm, cold, formal, powerless. Don't allow yourself to drift. Just like in this service. Don't allow yourself to go to sleep. This is your last service. Keep that in mind. This is the last service. It just came to my mind. Paul's last sermon, he preached to midnight. So hopefully we won't have to go to midnight to get my last one. Now, remember, remember how, I want you to go back in your mind, and I want you to remember how the devil got in the book of Acts church. You read the first seal and Brother Branham tells us how. He tells us there was a wonderful outpouring on the, of the Holy Spirit and it fell upon upon the rich and the poor and, and, the, and, the, and, and a lot of poor people that were just slaves. And there they began to, 
they began to rejoice in the truth that they had, and they had the joy of the Lord. And there were signs and wonders among them that were speaking in other tongues and interpretation. There were healings and, and miracles and things that were happening. It was a book of Acts church. And they met in little dimly lit places. Of course, they couldn't meet in the synagogues. It wasn't theirs. They were cast out of there. So they were there in little dimly lit places there. And, and, and many of them were slaves and poor. And, and you know, thought of as, as a lower class of people. And so then, you know, they're seeing this joy and these signs and wonders. Some of their... Some of the masters of these slaves would see them uh, so blessed by the Spirit and God doing signs and wonders, and they wanted to know that power of salvation themselves. And so some of them, you know, started coming. Well, they come into their dimly lit places and the caves and the people who are in rags and slaves, and they're not celebrities and rich people, and, you know, they're not dressed the best and whatever, the rich could not stoop to such a low, low subculture of these poor people who spoke in tongues and prophesied. So you know what they had to do? They had to dress it up. Amen. And that parallels today. Can I just say it? Can, can I just talk to you a moment? Can I, can I just, uh, you know, spill my guts as it were and just, just say it? But, they, you know, that, that parallels this day when God purposely chose a nobody. A seventh grade Kentucky with heights and totes and noted and, you know, didn't have a college degree and he wasn't from the seminary. Amen. Amen. And it wasn't classy enough for God to use a prophet with a seventh grade education whose grammar was hillbilly-ish. So they had to rise up wannabe apostles who thought they needed to bring clarity to the message, to polish it up a little bit. You know, he needed help to say what the thunders were. They needed, uh, they, they, you see, he, he didn't say it plain enough. Well, really, he never did say what they said he said. You know, but in what they wound up saying, but they needed something higher, something beyond the seventh angel and his message. So they claimed a, 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 another age that something, we got something beyond. We went around higher. We went into a bride age. There's something beyond the seventh age. Oh, you know. You, you back here, you're just six seal believers. We're seventh seal believers. We, we got more truth. We got more light. We, we got more. We, we're, we're better off. But let me just tell you, you know, today the fruits of it is shown. It was not a, it was not a return to the promised land. It wasn't a going back to the Bible. It wasn't going back to the truth of God's word. It wasn't staying with the message. Amen. But it was, it was like Hitler and his deceit to lose, lure the Jews to Auschwitz. You know, he, he had the, all kinds of ploys that he would do to manipulate the minds of these people. We're going to relocate you out of the ghettos here. We're going to give you a better place. And, and you're going to go there. And then they would, they would take them on trains and stop them at a place. 
and they would give them a holiday for about three days and good food and nice. And they would write, give them pens and paper and they'd write all their friends and relatives, we're doing good. You know, we, we, they're treating us nice and we, we had good food today. And, and my, you know, they ro- rolled out the red carpet for us, not knowing they were going to the death chambers. Not knowing they was being fed a lie. But oh, they would have feasts and celebrations for a moment only to be loaded up again like cattle taken down to a place and stripped of their humanity. See, it wasn't a return to the promised land. It was another concentration camp worse than the ghettos. Worse than, listen, worse than the denomination to come out of. You know, and it was just another move to stump out faith in God and place it in a personality cult and two traditions of man. And traditions is a, you know, can be a long established belief. And that long established belief, we need a man to rule over us. We need a bishop. We need an apostle. We need an overseer. And this, this apostle would lord it all over all the other ministers in the churches. He'd become the, the great apostles, even greater, even greater, or equal to, or greater, and most of the time, greater than a vindicated prophet. I don't know how we take a man that maybe had a miracle or two, or prophecy or something come to pass, and compare it with a prophet who had miracle after miracle, and sign after sign, and the angel of God, and vindication. Come on, church. Amen. I'm not talking about somebody prayed for a deaf person and they were healed. I, I've had that happen. Where that we had in our meetings in Germany, a, a little lady come with her hearing aids and, and said, I don't need this. Who can I give them to? Because I was healed by the glory of God today. As I was there in the shower, I began to hear children's voices and I began to hear the shower run. And I realize my healing has come. And I don't need these hearing aids because I'm completely well. But I'm not talking about of someone who was, had a bad ears and they got healing. I'm talking about going into, into Little Rock, Arkansas. Into the school of the deaf. And 152 healed in one day. I'm not talking about a little miracle once in a while. There's signs follow them that believe. We can get you to believe signs that follow. Amen. You can get a Catholic, a Catholic to believe even the, the word of God of, of Christ being the healer. God to heal a Catholic. God's no respect a person. He finds faith, he'll heal. But we're not talking about a little healing. We're talking about God vindicating a message in this last day. Are you with me? Amen. And now, you know, it wasn't long, you know, it wasn't long. What's these spirits that exalt themselves? It wasn't long, you know, until it becomes the voice of the archangel. Then next, he becomes Michael himself. And the next thing you know, when he's gone, his followers, they got to do one better. So one of, them, one of them is Elohim, the other is the Holy Ghost. That is the results of following men. 
And it doesn't produce a rapture. Doesn't produce rapture in faith. It causes disillusionment, hurt, confusion, despair. Amen. Now, so you know, here, here we go. You see, what is it? It's the worship of a man giving him headship instead of the word of God. Now, that wasn't enough. We had the Perusia tradition that went forth, and the teacher become greater than the vindicated prophet. They called it that the bright age, but it was another Oswich. Just this teacher was needed to dress up the message. In order to do so, they wound up even denying the deity of Jesus Christ. Made Jesus lower than, than Godhead and turn, turned their movement into to death camp where there's no spirit, no anointing, just dry teaching without power. And today they're just another little denomination bound even tighter than denominations. And you, and you think that you're in some bright age because of a tradition. You know, a tradition is, is not just something long-standing that can be one, one meaning of it, but a tradition is a doctrine that's not scriptural, but just accepted as fact, just based on a theory, and you think you can just cherry-pick a few little quotes that you pick together and come up with something? Brother, I'll tell you what you'll come up with. You'll come up with another Oswick all every time. Amen. Remember this. Here, Brother Branham would tell us in God of this evil age, remember it was an unpartable sin three times in the Bible for persons to add one word of their own interpretation to God's word. After it had been vindicated the truth. And I'll tell you, it's been vindicated to be the truth. In the Garden of Eden, one word added caused death. When Balaam added the word, you know, we're all the same. God never forgave that. And every one of them perished in the wilderness except the three that God brought out. And Jesus said, they're everyone dead. That's eternally separated. They're all gone. Never was forgiven. It was an unpardonable sin. Never forgiven them. Oh, my. Flee it, children of the evening lights. Amen. Flee it. Where are we going to go to? What happened to the Jews when they finally got out of Oswick? Those that survived. Those that got out of the death camp. What did they, where did they go? They couldn't go back to homes. They didn't have homes. They couldn't go back and settle in Germany. That wasn't their home no more. They've been uprooted. Their, their houses torn down. Their cities rifled. Their, their places confiscated. Where could they go? They could go to one place. There was something in their heart. There's got to be a homeland for the Jews. You said, where can we go, Brother Tim? Where can we go? I'll tell you where to go. Go back to the homeland. Get back to the Bible. Get back to the Word of God. Get back to a book of Acts church. Get back to truth. Amen. As Sister Jessica is saying today, what about the message? What about the truth? Even then you have other personality cults that want to rise to overlord us, to tell us only to play tapes in our churches. Then other personality cults rise to tell us what kind of music we can play and 
control Holy Ghost worship. Amen. I'm like the, I'm like the Hebrew children. I won't bend, I won't bow, and I won't burn. Amen. I've got, a, I've got an announcement. I just want to say, because you, you think, oh, you're just talking about your, your, local, your, your local problems and your, 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 your um, movement problems. Let me tell you, it's a problem whether you're in the charismatic realm or the Pentecostal realm, the Baptist realm. Everybody is jockeying for position. You see, the attitude of it is who's going to be the greatest among us? And we ought to know who should be the greatest among us. It ain't about kingdom building. It ain't about men and their kingdom. It's about God and his kingdom. Amen. It's about him being Lord of Lord and King of Kings. But I've got an announcement for all of them. Every personality cult in Christianity that there is today that are vying for position. I got, a, an, I got an announcement for you. Take a number and get in line. You know, there's been many of them before you. And there'll be many getting the line behind you. But when you, when you get to the front of the line, you're going to be told this. Now listen, when you get to the front of the line, you're finally there to get your position Brother Branham tells us in Christ the mystery, as, he, as the head was taken up from the grave, so must his body follow him to Eden. Amen. Ain't no preacher taking us there. Amen. Ain't no bishop taking us there. Amen. To follow him into Eden. Therefore, the body, I mean it's part of the body, cannot recognize any other headship but the headship of the word. Hallelujah. No denomination can put anything to it. For whosoever will add one word uh, away from it or, or take one word away from it or add one word to it, it's took away your dead hybrid right there. She's back here. This testimony is in her hands of filthiness, of her fornication, spirit committing and spiritual uh, adultery against the very word she claims to believe. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to say to take any man as your husband that, but Christ is adultery. To may take anybody as your leader except the Holy Ghost is adultery against God. Sure, a pastor is a leader of an assembly. Pastor is is the head of a local body, but he's not your head. Your head, the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is the man. This is Bible. And our head is Christ. Is that right? And as pastors, we lead the people by feeding them the word. Amen. So he said, therefore, it's the word or nothing. That's right. He's the word. How do you know? He's the word is vindicated. He the word is vindicated. He, the word, is properly vindicated, is the headship, the head of the church. So I just ask, where's your vindication? Amen. Amen. He is properly identified, vindicated by his own spirit, being in the, in the church itself, 
The person showing forth himself in vindication is direct proof to the, to the entire body. You don't need creeds then. Denominations has perished. But the headship itself recognized in the body by personal identification. See, identify himself proves the headship to the body. Then we are united under one vindicated headship, and that is Christ, the Word of God, not under any church. Amen. 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 He would tell again in the message, God's only provided place of worship. Have you noticed? Every three years, a great meeting, what takes place, a denomination. This is 20 years in no denomination. Dear dying lamb, may it never do that. If I go in this generation, may the people who believe this message never stand still for a denomination. You die right in your track. Remember that the very hour you mention denomination among you, I don't care how sincere you are, take man for your leader instead of the Holy Spirit to confirm this word. That's the hour you die. So we want to die. That's all we got to do. Just become a a part of another personality cult. And I'm going to just tell you, you know, even then, you got to remember, your head is Christ. You know, a, a lot of people want to give their headship over to a pastor. You are to be led by the Spirit of God yourself. You should pray over the church that you go to. Amen. Because churches carry spirits. And you should choose by, by revelation as to where you go to church and you do it to find a place that will feed your soul that you can raise your children in the admonition of God where there will be an atmosphere of the Holy Ghost there where the power of God can move out and save your children like he saved you. Dear God, you know, we knew it took atmosphere for us to be saved. I mean, why do we want to deny atmosphere for our own children? We want to squelch the songs and squelch the worship and squelch the praise and squelch the shouting and squelch the amens. Oh, my goodness, church, we want to create an atmosphere. Amen, where souls can be saved, where sinners can weep their way to Calvary. Where that God can have the preeminence. We don't want to be a morgue. We don't want to be dead. We want to have the power of God and the salvation. That when our sick needs healing, there's a healer there. When our children are lost, there's a savior there. Where there's a need in the body, there's a need supplier there. Now... You know, we, have a, we, we hear teachings today where the pastor claims to be the husband, the husband of the church. And they teach the pastors the husband of the individuals in the assembly. And then they begin to take it further. It's adultery to listen to anybody else but them. This is another form of popery. You'd have been better off to stay out where 
you know, at least there's three or four million that, uh, the, the, you know, three or four, about three or a billion that believes like that. You'd better, better stay off uh, out like, like that out in an ism somewhere than to come under that. But here Brother Branham would make a statement and what's, what, what, what men do with agendas. He talks about Lot's wife. She started out as an overcomer, but she never did overcome. Oh, she left the denomination. She did. She walked out of Sodom with Lot. But when she, oh, she wanted to go back, have her hair cut, you know what I mean. She had to go back. She couldn't, she couldn't stand the test. She had to go back again to see what the rest of them was doing. Oh, you know, I had some good friends down there after all. And, and after that, you know, uh, this might be just a little move. I, I don't know whether it could be right or not. I only got this man's word for it, though he's my husband. But yet, and then he says, your pastor is your husband, spiritually speaking, you see. Now, whether it, it could be right or not, I don't know. Maybe this revelation wasn't right. Maybe his revelation wasn't right. And, and then he said, if you're not perfectly satisfied, you're not perfectly know that it's the word of God, then you can't go. Then you've got to be really sold out. You've got to know. Not just say, well, I see others do it. I see a sign. So if you look in this in context, he's speaking about Lot and his wife. Lot and his wife. Lot's wife didn't listen to the leadership of her husband. Instead, she says, I don't know whether it could be right or not. I've only got this man's word for it. Though he's my husband. Then Brother Brandon said, of this woman, in reference to Lot and his wife, your pastor is your husband, spiritually speaking. He's not telling us that, the, that your, your pastor is your husband. He's telling the the, the women using Lot's wife, that you have a priest in your home who is a pastor of that home. And that pastor is your husband, the husband of the family, the shepherd of the family, the priest of the family. Come on. Amen. Your husband is your pastor, spiritually speaking. Now that's what he's telling. Now, so yeah, pastor's ahead of a local church, but he's not ahead of the bride of Christ. And he's not your head. And he's definitely not your dictator. Amen. He leads the people by feeding them the word. Amen. I, you know, how, how, I can't understand how a man could relinquish the headship of Christ to another man. You know, not to mention allow another man to usurp headship over his wife. Can you imagine there, there's some, some men will, today will leave a church. And when they leave the church, the pastor um, says, well, now because he's left us, he's dead. Now you just go get married again. It's happening. And these pastors usurp headship over the women in order to control the men. And if the husband disagrees and goes to another assembly, like I said, he's considered dead and the women then just can go get remarried again. Breaking up homes. Somebody's going to answer to God for this nonsense. Amen. Oh, brother, I, you know, I don't know. You may want a pastor to tell you what kind of color car to drive or what model to drive or how much uh, debt that you can incur or do, do that. You may want a pastor like that, but you picked the wrong place. I really don't care what color you drive. 
And I really don't want to be bothered with the details of all your stuff. I would love, brother, you get in love with Jesus Christ. And that you know the leadership of the Holy Ghost. And you pray over your decisions rather than come to me to make them. Because I ain't going to be your Holy Ghost. Amen. But notice now, the atonement brings you back to where the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the family is the man. Then you say, well, what if I don't have a husband? Well, then your head is Christ. That's just that very simple. Amen. It just goes right up to the next level. If you don't have a husband, you're unmarried, you're a widow, you're a widower, you're, you've been divorced, whatever your condition is, you know, you, that your head is Christ. You've got a head. All of us got a head. Amen. Amen. And your, your husband, your husband, the man, is not a dictator. Somebody can help me get this done. Amen. He's not to be a dictator over the family. He is to lead them by pointing them to the word, not just by his own whim and dictatorship, but also considering the needs of the family. Amen. I'll be off this tangent in a moment. We'll preach something. We'll get into some other things. But while I'm, while I'm cleaning up, just let me clean. Because, you know, this message brought us from chickens and ducks and geese to, from false worship and worship of men and worship of idolatry is what it is. Amen. Back to the power of Pentecost. Back to an apostolic bride age. Amen. Back to divine healing. Back to a living God. Amen. Not some form or tradition with no power over it. Amen. Or power in it. But in this bright age, you want to lead me somewhere? There's no worship. There's no Holy Ghost that ever moves on a person. And they get so overjoyed, they speak in other languages. You, there's no divine healing there. There's no faith, no atonement by blood. You want to lead me there? That's a ghetto. That's where we're stripped. Amen. We're stripped of our Christianity. And it's relying upon a pope, a bishop. Now, you see, the homeland was closed off to the Jews, but the trumpet called them back. Amen. And let me tell you the same thing when we look at our homeland, which is the Bible, and now we're going to Revelation 5 in our thinking, and now the book is sealed off the homeland, that's to our homeland, isn't it? Amen. Is sealed off with seven seals. Amen. But, and so therefore was closed off to us. And Paul's gospel closed off to us. But what happened? Amen. God, the Lamb, took off the seven seals and revealed why we were out of the homeland. And how come we got scattered out here in order that we could find our way back? Not to a closed book, but to an open book. Not to a closed homeland, but to an open homeland. Back to an original atonement. So the trumpets 
This trumpet's call Israel back to their Bible homeland. And the seven seals open our homeland back to us again. Now, so it gathers them back. The trumpets gather Israel to their homeland. And the six trumpets have sounded and have gathered them back as a nation. I think sometimes we fail to really see the significance. Just look at our counterpart. They're over there. They're building up the wastelands. The deserts are beginning to bloom like a rose. Amen. There's life that is coming out of dry places. Is somebody with me? Amen. Green pastures are being brought forth. Revival is happening. As they are are getting their land and reclaiming their promise. That's our counterpart. But it's only a sign that on the other side, there is another group of people. A royal seed of Abraham that are going back to the forgotten places. The dry places. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Call it back. Oh, you might be weary. You might have been whipped around by the devil. You might have been in a ghetto. You might have been disturbed in every way. But oh, come back. Come back. There is a homeland. The book is open for you. If you need healing, it's in the homeland. That dry place can bloom again. You need salvation. That dry place can bloom again. Water can come down in the latter rain and bring it to harvest. Bring fruitfulness in your life. So it was to gather them back. Now, the seventh trumpet breaks the silence to Israel. To where they recognize the Messiah. And the the seventh seal is the breaking of the silence. Which brings about the coming of the Lord. The revealing of the Messiah. Now listen. Listen church. Not the revealing of another preacher. But the revealing of Christ. This messenger did not forerun another one. Another preacher to come. Another apostle to come. He was to forerun Christ's coming. Are you with me? Amen. And it would come first as the anointed word to restore us back to original doctrine again. Back to the original atonement again. Somebody with me now? Now, that's what it was for. It was to bring a restoration back to that first. But it isn't. It will never and has not and will never be successful unless it produces the corporal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this message is to produce. A rapture. Not one that's an imagination, just a spiritual lifting up, but something that translates you from this dimension to another. So you see, The breaking, the the sounding of that trumpet, you know, it breaks the silence. It's like a trumpet does. You know, everything can be all quiet and all of a sudden, that trumpet blows. And when it blows, it's breaking the silence. 
Is that right? Now, so again, it breaks the silence for them when that seventh trumpet blows. It breaks as it makes known, as Joseph makes known himself to his brethren. Now, Joseph has been silent all of these years. Amen. Now, we know he's been working because we've been, we've been privy to some things in the book. And we found out under the fifth seal, are you with me? Amen. Amen. Uh, when the fifth seal was opened, we found some of his brethren that had died for the testimony that they held, for the word of God, and they were martyrs. Amen. Don't, don't you imagine what, what a day it's going to be. When them two prophets begin to unveil how he's been with you all the time. You mean during the Holocaust? Yes, that was him. You mean during, yeah, it was his hand leading you back, getting you, had to uproot you out of these countries and bring you back to your homeland. It was his tender hand. Amen. It was him working all the time. What about all those who were martyred? They didn't believe on Jesus. They didn't, they didn't know Messiah. Oh, I'll show you. Look over here under this fifth seal. They were given robes. You mean my grandmother, my great-granddaddy, who stood for Zion and stood for the Word of God and believed like they did and everything else, and they, they didn't know Jesus was the Messiah? And yet, they're given white robes. Yeah, that's God's grace. That's God's mercy to us. You see, this is what those two prophets will do. And they will reveal this Messiah who's been working with them all the time. Just like Joseph was giving back the money, giving back to, giving, giving all the things and providing for them all along the journey. Amen. He's been providing for them. He never forgotten. Amen. Amen. He could say of them, which is said of you also, could I forget you? No, I can never forget you. Why, your names is engraved on the palms of my hand. Oh, if you could just get a revelation this morning, no matter how weary and despondent and depressed that you are, if you could just get a revelation today that he hasn't forgotten you. Your names is engraved on the palms of his hand. I can never forget you. Could a woman forget her sucking child? Yeah, he said, but I can't forget you. You're part of me. Every time I look at myself, I'm reminded of you. Amen. I haven't forgot you. I haven't forgot your long prayers and your crying out. I hadn't ignored nothing. I hadn't, I, you know, the sparrow can't fall without me knowing it. You can't get sick without I know it. There's nothing can happen to you except I know it. And I don't just know it. I've done something about it. For I was wounded for your transgressions. I was bruised for your iniquity. But the chastisement of, my, of your peace is on me, and with my stripes you were healed. I say, what a mighty God. What a Savior to care so much for us. Amen. Here you will come. I'm Joseph. Now, listen to these words. And the trumpet is to call them back to that atonement. 
See, the atonement they rejected. And they they rejected so our eyes could be opened. Theirs was closed. And during these times, these seals opened, the trumpets blew, and now the blowing of the trumpet just before the Messiah come, because they got to be in Palestine. You remember God had to harden Pharaoh's heart to run them out of Egypt? He hardened Stalin, Mussolini, and all of that to get them back into the promised land where the 144,000 is supposed to be. And for the first time for thousands of years, 2,500 years, that Israel is a nation with its own flag, its own army, and all considered in the UN. And first time it's been, the oldest flag that's ever flown on earth is at this time, flies again. The six-point star of David. And he said he would lift that ensign in the last days when she'd be coming back. Amen. We're at the end. There's just no doubt about it. We're here. How many can say amen to that? Amen. Now, the Jews are not scattered under a German banner or ensign. They're not under the flag of Oswick or Polish banner or a a Russian banner. Come on. Wherever they were scattered, but they've been gathered under the ensign of the star of David. Oh, hallelujah. God took that which was despised. And rejected. They would have to wear that that star to identify them. And it would become a star of shame and despise and a rejected and a downcast people. And he took it and lifted it up. Come on now. And makes it now a flag, a banner to all the world. An ensign that God has not forgot his people. That he's working and been working in spite of everything that's been going on. God's been behind the scenes the whole time. Working things out for their good. Now Isaiah eleven twelve says, And he shall set up an ensign for the nations. And shall assemble the outcast of Israel. And gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Notice this. Oh, then he says in Isaiah 18 and verse 3, All ye inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth, see ye when he lifted up an ensign on the mountains, and when he bloweth a trumpet, hear ye. So let me just say it today. We as a Gentile bride, we are not gathered under a Methodist or Baptist or denominational banner. Let's say it wanted tape only or return ministry or two soul or seven thunder or Perusia where we were once scattered. But we're under the banner of the headship of Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. He would say in Song of Solomon 2 and 4, he brought me to his banqueting house. How many have been brought to his banqueting house? Amen, a place where there's provision, a place where there's a seven-course menu, a place where all seven seals are open, a place where the Word of God can be preached freely and uninhibited. He brought me to his banqueted house, and his banner over me is love. 
Hallelujah. His banner over me is love. Aren't you glad for his banner this morning? Amen. That his banner over you is love. God so loves you. He wanted a bride. He wanted a people for his namesake. And he chose you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Christ the mystery. He says, don't you fail this. The body, therefore, cannot recognize any other headship but the word. Because the head is connected with the body, and the head is the word. And it's the same word, one headship, therefore denominations, holy fathers, everything else is dead dumb. You say, Brother Tim, that's a bad way to say that. Paul said, I count everything I know is dumb. He'd studied on Gamaliel, had all kinds of theology. And he said, I counted all his dumb that I might win Christ. Amen. The body recognizes only one thing, the word. And he's here today in his word manifesting the same thing. She can't recognize another headship. There's no bishop, no nothing. She, can, she recognizes one headship. That's Christ, and Christ is the Word. And he says, oh, I love that. Yes, sir. Now, when the seventh and the last trumpet sounds for the Gentiles, the last trumpet sounds for us, the bride is caught up and taken out, just like Joseph's wife was dismissed to the palace. He said, everybody go forth from me. And he reveals himself to his brethren. And under that same trumpet, Moses and Elijah, just think, as he calls us up, the dead from seven ages, and we are translated as it crescendos. Is somebody with me now? As it crescendos, the message turns right over into the Jews and continues right on in redemption. Hallelujah. Amen. Notice under that trumpet, Moses and Elijah, those two witnesses shown in Revelation 11 will bring them from the traditions of a literal lamb. Now listen, those Jews are fervent. They know it without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. They know they hadn't had blood shed. They know that they hadn't had a, a temple in effect. They know all they've had all of these years was the words of the rabbi and their tradition and everything. But they know they need to get ready to welcome the king. Amen. So they're talking about building a temple. And they're trying to breed a red heifer for the waters of separation. They're trying to uh, produce a lamb. And they're trying to uh, get the menorah. And they're trying to get all the artifacts. Because they say, one day, one day. The temple will be rebuilt. But can you imagine why those Jews, those 144,000 and Elijah and Moses will be hated? Now remember, Moses and Elijah, we use them because it's the law and the prophets, which represents the whole old covenant. And they're coming to him and showing them everything. Do you know the eight prophecies that Jesus was given of Jesus? There's not enough zeros that could line up around the world to make the odds of those eight prophecies coming to pass. 
without a supernatural God bringing all of those prophecies to pass. But their eyes have been blinded. And they are over there celebrating literal Sabbaths. We got those in Christendom that does that too. You know, there's, they're, they're Sabbath day people. They're good people. They just don't understand. Jews are good people. They just don't understand. You know, we, we, when we were in Israel, we had two sets of elevators. We had one set that was for the Sabbath. And when you step on it, you know, you do not have to push a button. Because it just takes you to the next floor till it gets up to the top. And then, you know, you know, stops at every floor and lets everybody off. So, you know, if you get on the Sabbath one, on the Sabbath day, it's, it's kicked in and designed so you don't have to push a button because it would be work to push a button and put eighth floor. So you just have to get on it at first floor, step up here. It opens at first, second floor, third floor, fourth floor, fifth floor, till it finally gets to eighth floor. And if that's the top, then it'll go back down to seventh and sixth and all the way back down. That's the Sabbath elevators. So they have a literal Sabbath. But they're going to be told it ain't a literal Sabbath anymore. But the Sabbath is the Holy Ghost. And it's the rest wherein the weary are called to rest. And once you get the Holy Ghost, amen, you are a real Sabbath keeper. You've entered into your rest. You no longer labor in sin any longer. Amen. And then they will be changed from the literal Passover of the literal lamb to, oh, hallelujah, the real Passover. The lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And they'll be taken away from all of these that were only symbols and types. Now listen, they're going to be hated by the rest of them. They will be killed. The Bible says so. Amen. Now, under the soles on the altar, he said, rest a little while till your fellow brothers are killed like you are. They will be killed for their testimony. Moses and Elijah will be killed and resurrected and raptured. Amen. And so will the 144,000 because somehow they're in the millennium. Somebody help me preach now. You think you're the only one with a resurrection and a rapture? You think you're the only one with an Elijah prophet? Amen. God's got this whole scene to play out with Israel. Come on. Amen. Where he does exactly like he did for you. Took you from from the laws of do's and don'ts of of Old Testament keepings. Where it's types and shadows and feasts and new moons. And brings you right into where you see the true atonement. The Lamb of God that was slain. Bring you out of traditions. Now, so before the seventh trumpet sounds to reveal him to the Messiah, to the Jews, and the last trumpet resurrects the dead in Christ, it happens at the last trump, doesn't it? There is an Elijah, a prophet to the Gentiles that calls us from traditions and points us back to the true atonement. 
Now, it isn't that God makes a new atonement, but rather that he simply changes our attitude and our view of the atonement. In other words, veils of tradition now, because there's no woolly veil over this one or no, no big heavy veil, but it's a heavy veil of traditions of man that have been put on over the atonement, over the mercy seat. But in this day, God sends a a message, come on, to unveil that God, not to take away the mercy seat, but to reveal the mercy seat. Not to take away the blood, but to point us back to the blood. Hallelujah. Bringing us back to the atonement. You know what this will do with Israel? It will cause them to go into a state of of repentance. Those Jews will mourn. Amen. They will mourn. I'm going to read it to you in the Bible. But you see, this is is why in Laodicea and age, the seal of the hour is to repent. Allow the traditions to move back where you can see the real atonement. Now, the atonement, which is also known as Yom Kippur, which is um, in Leviticus 23, 27, that it provides a day of confession. It's the the highest of of all holy days. That on the 10th day of the seventh month shall be a day of atonement. So it would happen as the Gentiles are having their last church age, it would, it would, it would bring, them, bring us to where the Jews will come into a day of atonement. It also brings us to an atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you, and you shall afflict your souls. An, offer, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So the Jews have been called back in their homeland to recognize the atonement or what the Lamb has done for them, what he's already done. Now remember, coming back to this atonement, it doesn't, it doesn't reveal to us some new form of healing, some new salvation. It just reveals to us what he's already done. Amen. Healing is something he already did. You just got to realize the atonement provided it. Amen. Amen. Salvation is something he's already did. Amen. You coming to the altar, he's only accepting what he already did. Are you with me? So now, again, the Bible said they will mourn for the one they have pierced. Let's go to Zechariah 12 and verse 10. Amen. And I will pour upon the house of David... And on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace. Oh, hallelujah. The returning to the atonement pours out the spirit of grace. Amen. Amen. Not the spirit of no mercy. Come on, church. Not judgment, but the spirit of grace. Are you with me? I'll pour up on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son. 
and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadarimon in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family apart. The family of the house of David apart, their wives apart. The family of the house of Nathan apart, their wives apart. The family of the house of Levi apart, their wives apart. And the family of Simeon apart, their wives apart. And all the families that remain, every family apart and their wives apart. They're just going to go into mourning when they realize, oh, we killed the Messiah. Now, church, that's no different from you. We Gentiles, we come back to the homeland, the Bible, to the original atonements. Not something of geese and ducks and everything else, you know, insignificant offerings. But it's a time to afflict our souls. It's a time of mourning and realize my sins. Put him on the cross. That's what really salvation it is. is When you realize yourself, I did this. He died for me. Amen. He was wounded for my transgressions. I had transgressed. He took my beatings. He didn't deserve the beatings he got. He took mine. And by this, by this, I'm healed, delivered. I say, what a mighty God. I say, what a Savior. So here we come back to afflict our souls. We Gentiles. Why? We made three gods out of one. We took a, we took a Trinity baptism instead of the only way they baptize in the Bible, which is in the name of Jesus Christ. There's not one place in the entire Bible where anybody was ever baptized in any other way than in the name of Jesus Christ. We come back to the original atonement. We come back. It's a day of repentance where we realize I was wrong. That I realize now all my chickens and ducks. Now listen, when they come, they're going to look at these red heifers. So that won't do no good. That lamb won't do no good. This menorah won't do no good. None of this has any value. There's only one thing that's of value. And that's the lamb, the one we pierced. And it will be to them like chickens and ducks. Worthless as an atonement. Are you with me? And that's how creeds and dogmas were. They never provided anything. They were worthless as chickens and geese to take away our sins or to change our lives. That shows you how worthless these so-called revelations are that have no acceptable blood to provide an atonement. Amen. Amen. Atonement without blood is a chicken and a duck. Amen. It's a worthless offering. It's worthless worship. It's a false religion. It's a Cain's offering. Now, but notice... But for the last and seventh trump, there is a prophet to appear before the Gentiles to call the people back to the original Pentecostal doctrine. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Now that's what our message is to do, produce, to, to bring us back to our, the original Pentecostal doctrine. Back to the gospel Paul preached. Amen. Now, in Revelation 11, we find the ministry of Moses and Elijah calling to, uh, to Israel out of Jewish tradition. It's just the same as a message called the bride out of Pentecostal tradition. And remember Moses and Elijah used to call Israel out of the old atonement of the lamb, sheep, and blood, and goats, and sacrifice to the real living sacrifice to the word. Amen. Amen. So even as their last trumpet reveals Christ to the Jews, our last seal reveals Christ to the Gentiles. It breaks the silence of what he's been doing for the seven ages. Now, and it's to call the bride out of Pentecostal and world tradition to the genuine atonement. Not, not a new atonement, but a genuine atonement. Now, bear with me just a moment. Now, I want you just to realize, you see, as Brother Branham said, let me just share with you this quote because this is where I'm going to jump off from. And the seventh angel's message under the same trumpet, same everything, exactly the same. Seventh seal is to what? Call the people, the bride, out of Pentecostal and world tradition. Now call them out of tradition, long-standing traditions of having bishops and popes and and, and hierarchies and and overlords and overseers and, and pastors for our head and all these other things. Are you with me? To bring you back to the headship of Christ, the Word, amen, to the genuine atonement, the Word Christ, as he said, he says impersonated, it's personified in his Word here, made flesh among us. Science proved it by pictures, the church knows it, the world around, we firmly saw it, we firmly know it, for he never told us one thing, and thus said the Lord, but what has been the truth? Is that right? Is that right? Amen. What has been the, but every time it was been the truth, he did not say down there on the river as John the Baptist was sent, so will this message. Now, I want you to stop a moment. Let's reflect. We're at the end of the year now, but let's reflect back even more. Let's go beyond these years. Let's go back to the Ohio River, where in 1933, the angel of God came down before hundreds of people. A light, a voice rang out as John the Baptist was sent to forerun the first coming of Christ. You're sent with a message to forerun the second coming of Christ. I'm going to just say it, it's not in vain. Amen. The word has come, but it's going to be more than the word. There's coming the coming of the Almighty, the corporal return of Jesus Christ. And we're right here. Amen. Oh, it could be in these next few hours. It could be next year. I don't know when it will be, but I know this. I want to live today as if he were coming today because he's coming for somebody. Amen. But as John the Baptist, now, I want you to look again, think again, what happened with Jack Moore. Now, that was right here, Life Tabernacle. I went there as a boy. You know, we got people that were 
in those meetings. Raise your hands. Raise your hands. It was in the one, two, three, four, you know, and then myself that was in the meeting. Brother, different ones that was in that meeting. Now, you know, I know I was there. I was in there. I was, I was there. I was there on the wings of a snow white dove. I heard the wondrous things. I, I witnessed many things. I witnessed people that I knew. People that I laid my head on their lap as a young boy being called out, told their name, what their condition was. The situations that they were in. I saw the Messiah sign. But Jack Moore was even more privileged than I. Him and Gordon Lindsay. They saw the atonement coming in full effect. Are you with me? The same atonement, the original atonement, they saw it coming in full effect. I know I ain't got time for all of this. Let me just hit some points just a moment. Jack Moore would scream out, him and, him and, um, and, and Gordon Lindsay would write, which is now a book of history, in a, message, in a book called Man Sent from God. Now, I knew Jack Moore. I've sat there in his church. I've listened to service and preach. I've heard him speak. And Jack Moore wrote this account, and him along with Gordon Lindsay, and they screamed out, Bible days are here again. Why? Because they were seeing the atonement coming in full effect. Free of creeds and dogmas of man. Not, by, not being brought by a denominational preacher who was, who was veiled with some ism or schism, but one who was commissioned by God to break the veil of tradition where that we could see the atonement in full effect. He would scream out. He'd write this account as he screamed out as people came from all over the hills, came to his meetings. Come to the meetings on the first evening of Brother Branham's visit there. He said, in our large frame tabernacle, this building was so congested we could hardly get in. That had never happened on the first night of any meeting, but this was a Branham meeting. There was a steady stream of traffic that had wound its way through Arkansas hills and Louisiana valleys that day, reverently tracing the path of this 20th century prophet whose prayers, oh listen, whose prayers, now listen, his prayers was what? On the atonement. To the blood, come on. To the sacrifice. To the Lamb of God. Whose prayers could cause diseases to be accursed. Broken homes to be reunited. Drunken fathers to repent. Prodigal sons to return. Feuding churches to stack arms and make peace. And lukewarm Christians to be rekindled by the fire of their first love. Amen. Amen. That's what happens when you get your eyes back on the atonement. Amen. It'll cause fathers to repent. 
and prodigal sons to return and broken homes to be reunited and feuding churches to stack arms and make peace and lukewarm Christians to be rekindled by the fire of God. I say, God, let us look beyond the creeds. Let us look beyond the tradition. Let's see the mighty God unveiled. And that's what will happen when you gaze on him. When your gaze turns off of men and my church and my kingdom and my this and my that and we're the great one and he becomes the great one. I say, they went on to say, yes, Bible days are here again. Here is a man who practiced what we preached. And I'm going to just come back around to this right now. It's time we start practicing what we preach. That we don't just talk about a God of healing. We practice bringing a God of healing on the scene. That we don't just preach a revival. We are the revival. That we don't just preach some ism. But we, we become the life of this world lived out of our lives. Oh, I wish you'd get with me in my last sermon this year. Pour your heart into it. Amen. May it be said, we are a church that practices what we preach. We don't only preach a glorious salvation with the fullness of the Holy Ghost, but we practice that. We don't only preach the promise of divine healing saying God can, but we practice that knowing that God will. Amen. How many would like to see a God that will instead of just a God that can? Amen. It's time that we look to a real living God by getting our eyes off of the atonement. And it only happens when the veil of traditions are pulled back. Now, I'm just going to tell you, when those things happened, that affected men of his generation. Men of his generation got to look at the atonement. And it changed their view. It changed their view of a God that can, that a God that will. A God that was of the past, a God of the present. To a God who used to, but now does it again. I mentioned Jack Cole before. Jack Cole came under the anointing when he saw the wondrous working power that came by the coming of the message. Remember, as John the Baptist was sent to forerun the first coming of Christ, you're sent with a message yes, to forerun the second coming of Christ. And that message showed that the, that the atonement was in full effect. Full of grace. Full of mercy. And it was healing. And it was deliverance. And it was salvation. Everything that was needed was in the atonement. If you needed it, he, God provided it for it. With his sacrifice at Calvary. Come on now, church. You say, well, Brother Tim, we're past that now. No, this message brings us back to the original atonement. It don't point us to some other atonement. 
It points us back to the original atonement, to the original blood, to the power of Christ. Now the message was, as it unfolded, the first part of that message. Now remember, this message was to forerun his coming. And the first part of that message was, the atonement is in effect. There's never anywhere that the last part of the message is, it's not of effect. In fact, it points us back to an atonement that's in effect. Now, the message that was in effect revealed that God was a healer. And that he was healing now. Are you with me? Now, to do this, there was... All kinds of traditions that was over. Days of miracles are past. That only happened in the apostles' day. God doesn't do that now. All kinds of, of, of traditions, even people's unbelief, clouds it. You know that many times your own unbelief clouds the mercy seat. And all you can see is that, that gray covering of unbelief. That foggy, evil spirit between you and the atonement. But oh, if you could just take the sword of the word and cut through that darkness and let the veil be torn, you would see a God rich in mercy. You would see a God who's presently right now to heal you of every disease, to save you from your sins. Jack Cole, this man's faith would be anointed. He had scales over his eyes too. He was an assembly of God preacher at the time. And remember, I want you to say something. Remember, Malachi 4 was not to turn us into a faithless, powerless people. Malachi 4 was sent to inspire us to believe. And the true message preached and demonstrated with, will make the blood atonement more real. It'll turn you back to the real atonement. Yes, sir. Now Jack came under that anointing. And he believed God for healing and deliverance. It, it made Jack proactive in the new dispensation where that the atonement was, was being reconfirmed. Remember, not a killing of the sacrifice, but, but a, a reconfirming of the atonement. Not a new killing of the lamb, but bringing us back to the original atonement and what the lamb did for us. You remember the story? I've told it already several times this, this year. Bear with me once more. But he went to meeting as a skeptic. There was a man there with, with no blind. He had no eyeballs. And he had heard of, of William Branham, and he'd heard that he could discern the secrets of the heart. He'd heard there was miracles being done, but he was a skeptic. Can you imagine a Pentecostal preacher, a skeptic, that God was currently healing, delivered? Sounds like a lot of message preachers. Still a skeptic. They've never seen the atonement. 
Jack scoffs, you know, when he heard Brother Branham tell this boy, this man with no eyeballs. He told him, said, you can't see now, but in three days, eyeballs will form in your head. And at the end of the third day, you'll come back seeing. And Jack sitting there said, hey, bigger crowd as this is, anybody can say that. This man will get lost in the crowd and nobody will know it. So he just scoffed. He was sitting by the door. It was the door where Brother Branham would exit. Brother Branham would walk by him, take him by the knee. As he went by him, just stood there for a minute and prayed softly. And he said to him, you're not sick. He said, you're just worn down from preaching meetings. He said, don't be so skeptical of this. You're doubting whether this was of God or not. I want to tell you this is of God. And we're both fighting the same devil. Go on and continue in your revival for you were called to pray for the sick. Oh, he said that really shook him and rejoiced in his heart to realize I have a part in this. Amen. I not only see there the atonement and that is working, but I've got a part in this. And he decided to return back to the meeting in three days to see if he couldn't find this blind boy. And he found him in the meeting there. He was blind. Still just as blind as could be, but now he had eyeballs. Eyeballs had formed in his head. And he said, about the evening time, he all of a sudden jumped up and began to run all over the building, shouting the glories of God. I can see, I can see, I can see. Because sight had now come into those blind eyes. Eyes that had once been without eyeballs. Why? Because there's a creator. In the atonement. Hallelujah. He is a provider. Whatever the need is, he's a provider. Jack became so inspired. I want you to know something. He became so inspired until he became fearless in faith. Amen. To the point he actually became reckless. He just said, well, God said it. It's in the word, so I believe it, so I'm going to act upon it. You know, Brother Bradham talked of him. He said, I, I thought so much of Brother Jackson. He had bulldog faith just to hold on for healing. He said he would, somebody bring up crutches, he would have an axe there on the, and, and the, on the platform. And before he even prayed for him, he'd smack him into pieces. Yes, sir. Amen. He said, he said if they wouldn't, he said if they wouldn't walk away, they would have to crawl away until they got enough faith. Amen. He had a little anvil there that he'd set on the pulpit there. On the, and there he would use this little anvil with a little hammer. And people come up with glasses and, and, and to be prayed for for their eyes. He'd take them off and he'd beat them with that, on that anvil. And throw them over on the side. He was believing God. This is how much it convinced Jack. I wonder, has the message... Of the atonement convinced you. <clears throat> Come on, somebody. Amen. How much has it convinced us that this word is true until we become fearless in our faith? Till we're not just satisfied to see one miracle, but we want to see miracle after miracle. We want to see healer after healer. We want to see deliverance after deliverance. 
Why? Because our faith is back in the atonement. You can, you can search these things out yourself, but there's testimonies. One man was in a wheelchair, and he came in the prayer line. Jack, Jack was a big man, great big man. You know, so he looked down at him in that wheelchair, and he grabbed him up out of that chair, and he held him up, and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, Run! And the man crumpled to the floor. Well, Jack reached down and he got him again. And he, he picked him up and he said, I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, run. And he let him go and he crumpled to the ground again. This time Jack picked him up again. And he said, I didn't say fall. I said, run in the name of Jesus Christ. And he spun him around and kicked him in the rear. And he went off running around the building, healed by the glory of God. Hallelujah. That was a man whose faith got turned, whose heart got turned by an Elijah prophet with his eyes back on the atonement. And he could make that one scripture work. Now, you know, Jack was like us all. There's sometimes his own faith would waver. And it wasn't Jack Coe, it was a healer. You know, there was, there was one man that was in the prayer line that was so hideously crippled up and deformed that Jack, when every time he'd get up, Jack would send him back to the end of the line. Every time he'd finally pray and they'd get up, he'd get up to again, he'd tell them to go back to the end line. Prayed again, a bunch of people, he finally gets up to the end of the line. Here's this hideous man in this hideous condition, horrible shape. And Jack, finally, there was nobody behind him. He was the last person. And he stuck with him now and he looks at him and he said, he prays, said, God, what am I going to do? And God spoke to him, Jack, you're not the healer, I am. You know, that's our problem sometimes. We get to thinking it's us and how we pray, but it ain't us. He's the healer, not us. Hallelujah. He's the one who's the healer. He's the one that's the deliverer. You know, I heard of a testimony Here's some time, you know, of a man that was in a wheelchair paralyzed. He was in the prayer line and it went way into the night. And Jack became weary and said, I'm leaving the platform. I said, I can't pray for no more. I'm physically done. And the man, he said he was just a few people from being in the next in line. And, you know, here his hopes was dashed. Jack went over there and he said, but I'll tell you what, I can't stand here and pray for any more people, but this is what I'm going to do. And he draws a circle with his foot and he goes all around there drawing this circle with his foot. He said, now I'm going to go, but Jesus will still be here. And every person who passes through this circle is going to be healed. 
And so he said, there, they pushed me through that circle. And he said, I can't explain it, but there was a power of God that hit me. And out of that wheelchair, I came running all over the building. And he said, that's been 20 something years ago. And I ain't never been in a wheelchair since. Jack ain't here, Brother Branham ain't here, but Jesus is here. And I tell you, if you'll walk right in the circle of his word and get your eyes back on the atonement, every one of you that walk through that circle of that divine promise will be healed. I tell you this morning, it's time you get your eyes back on the atonement. It's time you see a living God is in our midst. God wants to do more than heal Atlanta. God wants to do more than just bring one prodigal. Amen. And this year to come, there will be more saved. There will be more souls that will be delivered. There will be, shall I prophesy? There will be more healed by the glory of God. Amen. Because why? Our eyes have been changed back to the atonement. Get your eyes on Jesus this morning. He's the way maker. He's the healer. He's the deliverer. Hallelujah. Do you love him this morning? Stand to your feet and worship God. Amen. Oh, I wonder if we're properly impressed by the word that's in our midst. Hallelujah. Look behind the veil. Move the tradition back. You've had a lot of fear between you and a promise. Amen. Speak the word this morning. The mountain's got to go. The word is true. Will you believe him with all your heart? Amen. Can he be your head? Can you get in love with Jesus? Can you love him with all your heart? Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. I want you to sing something. But then I want them to come. I think there's enough. We've got some missing. But come sing the way maker. Amen. You believe he's here gathered in this place? Can we worship him this morning? Amen. He's here among us. Get your eyes on the atonement. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Can we do that as a, as a, as we get ready to sing? Turn your eyes upon Jesus upon Jesus look forward in his wonder would you sing it like you never have all in the things of this world you grow strangely dear worship him now I know the I know the world does not like apostolic Pentecostal worship but God does amen I want you when you sing it I want you to sing it with all your heart he's a way maker amen I want you to get a good look at him this morning so the things of this world We'll grow strange. We'll grow strange. Oh, yes. In the light of His glory and grace. Come on, sing it one more time now. 
you, Jack. The prophet of Malachi 4 turned his eyes on the atonement. It even pulled back the veil even more for you, where you can see him in his full glory. Beyond the veil this morning, we'll grow and see a resurrected Christ, the healer, the deliverer, in the, in the light of His glory. And sing it one more time. Just turn your eyes.
today and forever. Hallelujah. Won't you give him a hand clap of praise this morning? Just worship him to put that back into your heart. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. 